0: What are you gonna do, Commissioner? There's only one thing we can
1: do. Batman. Sir, it's the phone. Yes, Commissioner. Batman. We'll be right there. Zap Bam. Now, it's time for another Batman land. Be careful. Maybe a trap. Batman Our weekly chats about the 1966 Batman TV show. We're Batman and Robin, the
0: crime fighters.
1: Each week we're joined by a guest where we discuss the Batman episodes that aired this week on SBS Vice Land. My name is Dan Barrett, billionaire Playboy and a digital editor at SBS. Let's go right. This week, I'm joined by a colleague who's the high note. Anytime she steps into a room, it's Fiona Williams. Hi. Fiona, please, let's get that tone up a little bit.
0: <laughs> let's just give it a minute. Let me warm up. OK,
1: let's see how it goes. Uh, we're also joined in the studio by film critic, culture writer And the fifth missing member of the Grammy Award winning B Sharps, it's Luke Buckmaster. That's
2: right. Uh, Pleasure to be here. Thank you for the great introduction.
1: Yeah. Now, I know nothing about music, so I was going through trying to find a metaphor and some sort of notes, which I thought would really sort of match the majesty that is Luke Buckmaster. Yeah. I couldn't really find anything that didn't seem highly offensive.
2: No. Well, you're off key, Barrett. You're off key. That that was my attempt at a musical reference. And uh, judging by both of your faces, it, it absolutely failed. I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> I thought you were about to say I'm a terrible laugher. I'm a terrible I don't laugher. Laugh. I laugh. I laugh on the inside.
1: I smize. It's lots of smiling with the eyes. Anyway, we are going to talk about Batman. We've got two stellar episodes. The old Batman TV show here. We've got the Minstrel Shakedown. This aired initially on the 21st of September 1966, and Barbecued Batman? Question mark from the 22nd of September 1966. Fiona Williams, we would like to kick things off with a bit of a synopsis about what we watched, because as is always the case, I watched the two episodes, I don't really understand what the storyline was. Okay, well that makes two of us, but I'm going to give it a red hot go. So this
0: week's episodes, they have a, a bit of a rip from the headlines feel about them. For a show that was made 50 years ago, when a financial thief threatens to trigger a GFC.
1: I'm wiped out. I made a fortune today.
0: A Gotham financial crisis, if you will.
1: Um, <laughs> <Zing>. Thanks. <laughs> Drop the microphone. You're done here. Okay. I'm at it. It's been a long night and it's going to be a big day. Let's get going.
0: So the villain is a mandolin-strumming electronic genius known as the Minstrel. A
2: Minstrel who is also an electronic genius.
0: And he tries to game the stock market and blackmail investors to pay him protection money.
2: A logical pursuit for a musician with a twisted criminal mind.
0: So the stakes escalate rapidly, it's fair to say, and by the time we get to episode two, the minstrel's threatening no less than the end of the world. Holy cosmos! <laughs> and what's more, he does it in song. A helpful minstrel eye when I see folks So I think trouble. that's important. Anyway, there's a
1: lot to unpack in this one, so let's get into it, shall we?
2: I just love suspense like this.
1: At the very beginning, as you said, we have a Gotham financial crisis happening. There's panic at the Gotham City Stock Exchange, and for the first two minutes, it's lots of conversation about the stocks collapsing and things are high and low. The quotations going out over the translux went completely wild. Some high, some low but none right. It felt like the really boring trade negotiations from the Star Wars movies. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was having trouble following it. I don't know. And like, I'm an adult man. I can kind of, you know, mm-hmm. trade low, buy high. There's a TV broadcast here. And
0: while it's true the stock exchange has had some wild days in the past, never in its history has there been anything comparable to this day. That's a big call. <laughs> but it's kind of trying to encapsulate. There's a lot going on you wouldn't understand, but it's... The worst thing ever.
1: And I'm loving the minstrel. He comes on the TV, he's playing his. What is that? It's not a lute.
0: Mandolin.
2: It's a mandolin.
1: Good afternoon, my friend.
2: And he's got this look, it's like Errol Flynn circa Robin Hood era. This, and, his, and his secret power is, or his superpower is basically to sing really folksy, annoying songs. And you just want him to, to sort of shut up. I think before I uh, watched these episodes, I was kind of asking myself who's my favourite villain. You know, Riddler's. he's interesting because of all these questions and Two-Face has got something going. It's the minstrel now, I'm absolutely convinced. He, he's absolutely my favourite. Oh, you're
0: drinking the Kool-Aid of the minstrel.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I'll guzzle that stuff down. His entire shtick, he kind of felt like a YouTube
1: star who's just a number of decades too early for it. He's quite a gentleman. But if The Minstrel is your favourite Gotham City villain now, if we are going to do a feature film, we're bringing The Minstrel in yeah. and let's maybe keep oh. the tone in the current sort of DCU, who do you have playing The Minstrel? We
2: mates Macy. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Buy but that. when we say, like, let's keep the tone the same, I mean, you've got to, you know, grow and expand the character also. And I think yeah. he's the guy with the dramatic chops. <laughs> you can pull that off. <laughs> don't know what sort of um, voice he's got as a singer, but it doesn't matter. The way, I mean, the worse it gets, the better it gets.
0: Yeah, I think so. Th- so this could be William H. Mason's oh, Oscar. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, I'm seeing him <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, this could be the Oscar. This yeah. could be, be the big one. And, you, you know, you mentioned the, um, the stock market scene. There's a stock market scene in The Dark Knight Rises too where mm. Bane sort of terrorises Wall Street. This one plays in a slightly more, um, I don't know what the word is, uh, lighter <laughs> key, lighter key maybe, but there's less dramatically at stake. <laughs> now, I was really taken with Aunt Harriet's
1: enthusiasm over the menstrual hair. Oh, isn't he a Steve so gentlemanly. Like, she was definitely hot for the minstrel. She's got a type. Yeah. Like, her language, she referred to him as so gentlemanly. Mm. Mm. <laughs> she was very keen. And she's very
0: forgiving. Was. Yeah, at the very end of it as well, when it all wraps up, she's, she's very forgiving when he starts threatening again in
1: song. But we'll <laughs> get to that. <laughs> I do want to get to that, because there's something very fundamentally different about the way this episode ended compared to all other Batmans until this point. We we introduced to Mr. Brooke Cortland. That
0: was Mr. Brooke Cortland. President of the Gotham City Stock
1: Exchange. He seems to be a fairly humorous fellow. He brought nothing. I don't even know why I mentioned by name.
2: (laughs) No, I I mean, I had basically forgotten he even existed in the first place, to be Mm. completely frank. No, he didn't bring much to the story. I think it's all about the minstrel, as far as I'm concerned. But the person who brought a lot to this episode, I feel, came into it in one
1: of the scenes with Mr. Cortland. It was a character by the name of Putnam. Thank
2: you, Mr. Putnam. You can return to your duties. Now,
1: did you guys pay that much attention to him? He wasn't maybe the greatest actor within the show, which maybe says something. Uh, the lines were definitely, as Fiona said, sitting next to me earlier today, definitely playing to the back of the theatre.
0: Absolutely was, yes. Yeah. So he, he's in the, um, the powerhouse of the stock
1: exchange, sort of the big computer room that has four employees. Yeah. Uh, he's the tech uh, yes. guy that yeah, kind of seems to be running it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, keeping the integrity of the systems running. Uh, but it's and doing a pretty bad job. <laughs> <of it. laughs> um, he's an actor, and I use the word actor loosely. Uh, the gentleman's name was Army Archard. Now, he's not actually an actor by trade. He's a arts and entertainment writer. He wrote for Variety for 53 years. Mm. He was a very prominent columnist for them during all of this time. And I was concerned when I said his name, it would give it away to both of you. Uh, but he worked as, for Variety. Uh, he was a blogger right at the end of his career. But, you know, for 53 years, he was writing a daily column, 900 words a day, okay, which is a fairly big deal for Variety. Uh, Also, throughout his career, he also did a number of acting roles. You look through his IMDb, it is extensive. Now, just for Batman fans, you may remember about five episodes ago on Batman Land, we talked to Mark Humphreys about Roddy McDowell. Now, on that, we talked extensively about the Planet of the Apes movies, which were made on the Fox lots just a few years later. Mr. Archer ended up appearing in three of those movies. He was in the first Planet of the Apes, he was in Beneath the Planet of the Apes, and Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Twice he played a gorilla, and the third time he was the referee, and from just a historical standpoint, uh, it was him that broke the news that Rock Hudson was undergoing treatment for AIDS. Mm.
2: Wow. So
1: you know he was actually a newsbreaker as well. There you go. He was the first on-camera reporter for Entertainment Tonight when that launched back in '81. So he's like a big yeah. deal. Is there anything wise. he didn't do, well, Is there I don't he didn't know. Achieve?
0: Yeah, and it all culminated in a walk-on role in a Batman episode.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, definitely a career highlight, I'm sure. But getting back to the show, though, we should maybe talk about Van Johnson, who played the minstrel.
0: Yeah, um, quite a big star in the 40s. He sort of had that blonde, blue-eyed, all-American boy look to him that made him a natural fit for all the soldier and naval officer roles uh, throughout the war. I know him from my childhood. My mum was a bit of a fan. And there's an old movie, Miracle in the Rain, which is not one of the biggest ones in his career, but mum had a soft spot for it with Jane Wyman, so... That's my way into too. Devan, what about you
2: fellas? Well, according to IMDb, he played three different characters in three different episodes of Murder, She Wrote. (laughs) So I wonder then if he died on three separate occasions.
1: At the hand of America's greatest serial killer, Jessica Fletcher.
2: I just love suspense like this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Um, Another interesting guest star in this week's episode, you had Phyllis Diller. With a very strange role. A
0: blink and you'll miss it cameo.
1: Yeah, yeah, so she was the cleaner. Like the scene added nothing to it.
0: Oh! Oh! Do you always sneak up on people like that? It was unusual. I thought she'd play a bigger role, but... Yeah,
1: yeah. and usually go. when you've got the celebrities, they'll be sticking their head out the window when Batman and Robin are doing the wall climb, mm. which I expect that's where Phyllis Diller would shove her head out, but instead they've got her playing a cleaning lady.
2: Yeah. Was there a wall climb moment in this, in this episode? In the second I've episode. Forgotten. In the second yeah. episode. It's after the spit-roasting. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's jumping ahead though, I think. <laughs> Very much so.
1: Uh, just a few things from the first episode. You had... Maybe the most important shot we've seen on a Batman episode so far, Batman and Robin, they jump into the Batmobile, insert shot, the two of them buckling in. Ah, safety first. Very much so. And Batman is a stickler about this sort of thing, but it's the first time I've actually seen that happen. Nice. There must have been complaints or something. I'd imagine. So very important to see. Also, there was definitely a tonal shift with some of the stuff going on. Batman and Robin actually did some real detective work, which very rarely happens in a show. It was like a Batman-like Gotham City procedural where you saw Batman and Robin go to the Stock Exchange. They checked out the computer systems. They spoke to the staff there. It was practically, he was Jerry Orbach from, for most of the episode, <laughs> which I thought was quite important. You never see this in any other thing. And I got to wondering, why don't the police actually do any of this? Mm. They just got straight on the phone to Batman and Robin as usual. Okay, why not actually get out there and ask a couple of questions?
0: And perhaps I'm skipping ahead as well, but Chief O'Hara has the temerity yes. to accuse Batman and Robin of being double agents and working with the minstrel at some point.
1: I don't want to imply it, but Mother McCree, Commissioner, what do we really know about Batman and Robin?
0: That comes out of nowhere and goes nowhere as equally, but that's a bit cheeky.
2: Very cheeky.
1: Yeah. Look, on this show, I've been accused of criticising Chief O'Hara just a little bit for his gross incompetence throughout Gotham City with his police work, or lack thereof. Uh, Luke, you may be unaware, but from everything we've witnessed of Chief O'Hara so far, he's not really a police officer. He's probably barely even a chief the theory we've had on the podcast is that he's just a guy who maybe left the force a few years ago but he didn't want to tell his wife so he's been coming into work every day (laughs) putting on a uniform yeah yeah yeah
2: i think that's that sounds right to me yeah that sounds right
1: but this week i'm actually thinking that maybe he is a bit more legitimate than i've really given him credit for he was questioning the authenticity of batman and robin
2: two masked figures two voices on the telephone Whence did they come? Whither do they go? I'm still the bigash, Chief O'Hara.
1: And what I'm beginning to think after listening to all of this is that maybe it's not that he's incompetent, but rather he's just dealing with the incompetency of the really bad bureaucratic head of the Gotham City Police. So Commissioner Gordon is maybe clearly the fault here. Well, the commission does get very
0: defensive when those accusations are thrown mm. around, so.
2: Mm. There are a lot of accusations being thrown about here and there, you know, helter-skelter in this episode. At one point, uh, the minstrel accuses Batman of being a, quote, second, a second rate genius and after I heard that line I thought I've never heard anyone being insulted by being called a second rate genius would I be insulted or complimented if I was like, no I'll pretty much be complimented I'd love to be called a second rate genius <laughs> um,
1: I was really curious about Alfred through this one there was a lot of over-the-top acting where usually he plays that sort of reasonably down key okay it's just lots of phone answering most of the time and some dusting Um, But, yeah, he was, like, overly sort of, um, I guess, excited by the drone because Batman has a drone and like he summons back to the bat plane, which turns out to be this drone that just lands in there. And the enthusiasm on Alfred's face.
0: I know he gets to control the bat drone for a second, and just he goes gets a bit giddy at the at the thought of it, of having something to do with the cape crusader. But we also get a little insight into Alfred's personal story in that his own finances are tied up in this scheme by the minstrel. This financial crisis that could go down because right. that makes it personal, yeah, I think a little makes it bit for this Batman
2: and personal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: yeah. I was concerned because I thought that maybe he'd actually ask Bruce Wayne, who seems to be an expert on most things, you know, how should he invest his money? But also, he's only a second-rate genius. Mm, Second-rate, yeah. He's got some way to go. So, Alfred clearly recognises that. Let's talk about the spit-roasting.
2: Batman and Robin rotate and revolve. As the heat grows, your bodies dissolve. When it's still hotter, then you will melt.
0: Nothing left but your utility belt. The bat on a spit. I thought we would never get to it.
1: We've seen some very ingenious death traps at the end of these episodes. But this one here, I have to say, maybe a little lackluster. And the big question I have is that we've got a musical-themed villain. Like, why is it not some sort of music-themed death <laughs> trap? Some yeah. sort of piano-wise that could, you know, capture him? Or just, what's going on here? All of that, even a drum.
0: Come on. But, yeah, it's a very... <laughs> Large contraption, and he's an electronic genius as well. So, I mean, this is literally just fanning the flames, yeah. and it's a rotisserie. There's not, there doesn't seem to be it's any.
2: No, there's no technological sort of, um, you know, inspiration to it, which is strange because in, you could read this episode as being about media influence and about the supervillain maybe is, is, you know, his, his control or, or his power is spewing things out over the airways. Mm. It's very much about broadcasting in a lot of ways. Mm. So when he ends up going to almost, a, you know, medieval times and putting Batman and Robin on a pole and, and rotating them above hot coals, you sort of do think he's, he's maybe invested too much in the broadcasting and not enough in the death machines.
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was a bit concerned about those synthetic fibres getting a bit close in the
2: capes <laughs> and whatnot.
1: Holy hotspot, Batman, what can we do? Nothing, boy wonder, nothing but cook.
2: Yeah, and I think they were just red glowing plastic rocks, weren't they? Was like, <laughs> they didn't look particularly hot.
0: They didn't break a sweat, did they? They didn't know? break a
2: sweat, no, no. Are you sure this is a good idea, Minstrel? Good, it's perfect.
0: But on that broadcasting as well, again to Chief O'Hara, he seems a bit, Bamboozled by the idea of pre-recordings, he. Yeah. <laughs> I love that moment where it dawns on him. But how was he here and there?
2: Yeah, that's true. Because then it suddenly lurches. I don't know if I'm skipping a head down, but it suddenly lurches into this, this Who Done It, and so I, w- I didn't even know this was a Who Done It. It was a great surprise, and, <laughs> and then suddenly goes, and that's the minstrel. And I'm like, hang on, were we trying to guess who the minstrel was this whole time? And someone should have told me. <laughs> it had to come out
1: of nowhere. Now, I do actually just want to skip right to the end because, quite frankly, how much is there left to discuss here? <laughs> But let's maybe talk about the fact that we end with the minstrel singing a song, okay, where he's vowing revenge on the Cape Crusader and also vowing that he'll break out of jail. This is also the last time we ever see the minstrel.
0: I know. They really set that up. He's got to come back. And then, actually, no, he never did. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. It was weird because in no
1: other episode do they set it up that they'll be back in this way.
2: And yeah, nothing.
0: Yeah, never to be seen again.
2: Oh, well. I think it's like once you take the mandolin away, I mean, what what, what has he got? He's going to have to slap his knee or something. And it's just not the same. <laughs> You get, like, a jar and, like, just start blowing into the... Yeah, but then do you get a jar in a sort of standard jail cell? Or he's not even in a standard one, though. He's in a superhero, supervillain jail
1: cell. No, no, you're really thinking too much about the other Batmans that you've seen over the years. Okay, this is... Gotham City's jail system is maybe a little bit lenient. They're (laughs) regularly getting criminals out with the idea that they'll come and break, like, save Batman, because this was something a few weeks ago, where Batman and Robin were trapped in a giant cookbook and... Uh, Gordon was going to bust out the Riddler so that he could, because uh, he's apparently a like, safe cracker, and what that do was you mean, get him in, a,
2: in a cookbook.
1: He, he was in a giant cookbook.
2: In a book, he was trapped inside there, a book. So there was, was a he tiny, book. or was the, the book giant? It was a big book, obviously. It was, a, it was
1: a very, very big book. A tiny Batman would be ridiculous, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> that, sorry, yeah, general, yeah, I didn't wasn't. <laughs> you really weren't. But yeah, the Gotham City jail system—not necessarily the high standard that you expect.
2: He's trying to picture that book. And how, how how does he turn the page or
1: how are the pages turned? Well, there weren't really pages within the book, so it was really like a large box that was book-shaped. Oh, it's more of a box than a book. Yeah. But if people want to check that out, it is the Bookworm episode of Batman. Well worth I'm a that And I, at now. the risk
0: of being a company woman, those episodes are available at
1: SBS On Demand. <laughs> also, right at the end of the episode, as mentioned at the beginning of this pod, Aunt Harriet, very hot for the minstrel.
2: Surely a man with such a voice can't be all bad.
1: I thought it was interesting because we see regularly at the end of these episodes where the female member of the gang, the mole, will usually be introduced back into the show and you find out about her rehabilitation efforts. You find out that Batman has gone out of his way to make sure that, you know, the woman who was clearly led astray and was not as villainous as any of the men, like the main villains or the henchmen, Okay, like that always to blame, but the female is always, you know, she's just led down the wrong path. Here, Aunt Harriet's taking that opposite view where she's the one hot for the minstrel, and so she's there to rehabilitate him. She wants to speak to Gordon about it. She's very keen to see him get away because of his beautiful, gentlemanly voice. Well, you know, she's only human. Mm. But
0: the female offsider this time, that goes a little earlier in the episode with Octavia, yeah. the very breathy offsider of the minstrel.
2: I didn't mean that. I mean, I surrender. That's hardly necessary. Just from looking at you, I'm sure your presence here is innocent.
0: And Batman plays her a little bit. There's a little bit of a... I mean, it's it's quite hot, that winking innuendo that they have in the middle <laughs> of the episode, but he plays a little bit to plant the bug so she doesn't factor back into the, the end of the episode there.
1: Yeah, because not all the wind was taken out of his sails.
2: Why bother with riffraff? It's the minstrel we want. He may have taken some of the wind out of my sails with that murderous barbecue. Some!
1: Something we do on the podcast every week is we like to talk to our guests about their experience with Batman. So, Luke, who is your Batman?
2: Oh wow, I was not prepared for this question. Who is my Batman? Trust sure sent you this question? No, you didn't send me this question. I would have. <laughs> I would have tossed and turned. As in, obviously, you mean which actor do I prefer?
1: Yeah, or maybe uh, your own personal uh, Batman out uh, on the streets of Sydney. Are we separating Bruce Wayne and Batman here? If you've got a personal Bruce Wayne and a personal Batman, we want to hear it all.
2: Well, I think Ben Affleck was an excellent Bruce Wayne and a terrible Batman. Partly because you know his suit was so heavy and transformer-like, you could only see about sort of four centimeters of of um, skin. You know, <laughs> like a, and, a, and a couple of lips. And I'm not even sure it was him under that suit, uh, and that's without you know factoring in all the CGI and the bomb bust and everything. Um, But I don't know. In terms of a Batman, I guess I'd go the Michael Keaton. I mean, we're on a show, we're talking about Adam West, so it seems sort of a little bit um, cliche to pick him. You you can choose him. No, no, I'll I'll go Michael Keaton. Yeah. Yeah. Good choice. (laughs) It's also the um, hacky choice
1: because everyone who I bring in here seems to be of a very specific age where they grew up with Michael Keaton.
2: He's my Batman, and I'd say 80% of Batman guests have all been very much Michael Keaton focused. And he's also a point where you can kind of do it retro. You know, you can think about what what we were sort of watching when we were growing up without going too far back and without getting too hammy and kitschy. So he's in that sort of happy place, I think, 80s, 90s sort of era.
1: Now you are a film critic and culture writer. You've seen all the Batman movies over the years. Um, like, what's your personal Batman? Like, what do you prefer, Batman-wise? Do you like the darkness of the Tim Burton? Do you like it a bit more Joel Schumachery? Are you, you know hardcore about the Nolan? Where are um, you at?
2: It's a good question. Well, the Joel Schumachery that that's that's sort of like a no-fly zone in terms of what you would think is you know a straight-up good film. These mm. are midnight movies. You know, Batman and Robin and Batman Forever that's their kind of charm. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's a lot right with it. Batman and Robin's more of a a. 3am movie. A a. 3am movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As late as you can possibly get before it gets early. Exactly. That's probably what kind of movie it is. Yeah. The recent Christopher Nolan films are, I think, excellent, generally speaking. Originally, I thought The Dark Knight was my highlight of of that trilogy. But Mm. then I've sort of evolved into The Dark Knight Rises being my favourite because it's sort of like a post-motivation sort of villainous situation. It's like there's, there's really no reason why... They're exploding the world anymore. Heath Ledger's Joker was watching the world burn and taking some kind of delight on the way out. Whereas Bane in Dark Knight Rises, he doesn't seem to have that much fun. I think it's just about absolute destruction, and there's a sort of suffocating intensity to that film that just—it's a weird dark magic. Um, So I'm very impressed by that. But if I had to name a favourite in this day and age, I would go back to the 1966 film. Uh, It's about a sort of—I think like a quasi rogue nation-esque, you know, group of people who are threatening to explode the world with rockets, etc., And the only person from America, you know, who's trying to save us is a sort of wisecracking sort of dunderhead. So I think it does have renewed relevance in the contemporary environment. It's unfair to call him a
1: dunderhead. I mean, he ran backwards and forwards up that pier to throw out the bomb. He just could not find a safe place to get rid of the
2: bomb. Well, yeah, but I mean, he had to look at the, the ducks Yes. And he had to look at the people. Well, and then, and then, how band? did he even solve the situation? I'm 99% certain we didn't actually see the bomb go off. <laughs> so we don't know. He could have thrown <laughs> it at an old lady. He could have thrown it into a baby. You know, he could have thrown it anywhere. <laughs> could have thrown it into a you know, into a bag full of kittens. I mean, we don't know. And frankly, we can't trust him. To defame the dynamic duo, even by implication is both unjust and reprehensible.
1: So you're a big movie guy, but have you ever explored the cartoons, the comics, any of that sort of gear with Batman?
2: Uh, yeah, I have, yeah. So my, the, the first sort of period in my life where I was... Started to be interested in Batman was probably the latter period of my comic book infatuation as a teenager. So I probably started off as a teenager reading a lot of Archie comics and reading a lot <laughs> 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 nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Reading a lot of I'll just I'll just <laughs> lay that on the line. Um, and then reading a lot of Spider Man comics. So it was uh, maybe I was relating more to the high school student rather than the um, the billionaire eccentric whose parents were murdered and who has really expensive things. You didn't find that relatable? Not really. No, mm. I still don't. Um, but then it took me a while to to get into it, and uh, I think there was a point where. You you kind of realise that Batman is really about philanthropy and it's about what you do when you have so much money that you, you know you have nowhere to put it anymore, you don't care. You either kind of go down the cycle where you spend more and more and make more and more or you kind of pursue something ideologically, which is probably why Batman resonates with me. I think that's an interesting um, trajectory. Why isn't Batman building batteries for cars and,
1: <laughs> and like space exploration? Well, and like- he, he
2: is, but he's just keeping them all to himself. Isn't that the deal? He's and- building these amazing flying machines and stuff, but he's like, I'm not giving them to you guys. And it's fair enough if you're living in this society where there's a lot of crooks out there. It doesn't sound very mm. philanthropic, though.
0: Oh, like a bat stamp Well, on he's it saving
2: and- the world. On the other hand, too. Now that's true. He's defeating a lot of villains. Yeah. He's defeating a lot of bad people. I think it's. I think, yeah, it's relevant. He's not saving the world against global warming, though.
1: As we do on Batman Land each and every week, we do look back at the lessons that we took away from this week's Batman. Fiona Williams, what did you learn from Batman this week?
0: Oh, look, a couple of things. I like that ultimately for all the minstrels, costumery and and mandolin strumming, he reveals his true menace as a rich white guy in a suit at the stock exchange. I quite liked the way that ended up. Also, if I may have a second one, it emphasises the value of learning a trade because he's a minstrel but he's also an electronic genius so it's good to have a plan B.
2: Oh, uh, Luke, what did you take away from the bat? I think the message for me is, you know, if it's really late at night and you're really hungry, then go get a kebab, you know, get something where you can put some garlic and chilli sauce on it. Don't get your arch nemesis. Put him on a pole, rotate him above, you know, hot coals. <laughs> yes, you're very, very hungry. You've got the munchies. We understand that but, you know, you just got to think a bit more clearly. Don't just always follow your stomach. <laughs> Uh, The lesson I've been learning is, I've been trying to win Aunt Harriet's heart, so I know now
1: to dress up like a Robin Hood type, maybe get some sort of string-based instrument and give it a good old
2: college try.
0: Good night, Batman. Good night, Robin. Good night, Batman. I'm going to leave you
1: now. (laughs) Guys, I think that's the end of Batman Land for another week. We'll be back next week, but Fiona Williams, Luke Buckmaster, thank you very much for entering the Batman Land cave with us. Fiona, where do we find you around on the internet?
0: On the internet you can uh, find me on Twitter at anythingbutfifi.
1: Now, Luke, you write for about 50,000 different publications. <laughs> uh, do you want to give us a sample of just a couple of uh,
2: them? No, well, maybe just find me on Twitter too. Then I I've sort of fold them all in there. So it's at Luke Buckmaster at Twitter.
1: But you can find your writing quite regularly in places like The Guardian and yes, Daily Review yeah, and yeah. flicks.com.au. Yeah,
2: all those three. Yeah, that, they're probably the, the major three. I'd go there. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate the plug.
1: Well, you know, I think you do some good work. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah,
2: That's ish. great. Oh.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's, yeah, let's not get too carried away. <laughs> yeah, come on. Let's. I can't compliment entirely. And if people can find a compliment free zone on Twitter, go to at the and you'll find my work there. But while you're on Twitter, talk about Batman Land. In fact, talk about it on Facebook and whatever other social network platform of choice. And while you're there, leave the hashtag #BatmanLand. helps other people follow the conversation. Subscribe to the podcast. If you liked it, leave a review. If not, maybe just keep it to yourself. <laughs> anyway, do that. Uh, we're out there. Batman Land. Tell your friend and your friend's friends. We'll be back next week, same Batman Land time, same Batman Land channel. Until next time.